0: Hi friends, this is episode 15 of the Bible Lab Podcast.
1: You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice.
0: Hi guys, I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode of the Bible Lab Podcast because truly it was one of our favorites, one of our best ever in discussing something that we thought we knew, but when we dug in deeper and we saw what the Bible actually says about the character of God, it completely changed the way that we now view the 10 Commandments. And I want you to listen all the way through, especially as we get toward the end and we talk about the 10 Commandments as wedding vows. So get ready to completely change your perspective of what the 10 Commandments are and how we're supposed to relate to them Welcome to the Bible Lab. Here we go. You ready? Number one, there are some customs that we do at weddings that I have absolutely no idea where they come from. Yes or no? Oh my word. I did not expect this place to to be bathed in green. There's a few of you that understand wedding etiquette out there. I think I saw four ladies hold up a no card. I did not see a single man. hold. I do see a single man out there. Are you a single man? Okay. (laughs) He's been studying (laughs) what these customs mean. So most of us, we go to weddings, we have no idea why do they do this and why they do that. That's great. Let's keep perpetuating that. Uh, Number two, needing a prenuptial contract is a sign that you should not marry that person. Yes or no. Uh, All of you with prenups are holding up no cards, okay? (laughs) This is about 50, 50, no, maybe 60% no, and 40% yes, and a few maybes, and a few maybes, all right. Number three, this is gonna be a fun class, by the way. Number three. Most people who keep the Ten Commandments do so to be in right relationship with God more than as a thank you for salvation. Yes or no? Predominantly yes. Uh, To me, it looks like about 95% yes, several maybes, and about 2%, 3% no. Okay? Number four, the Ten Commandments always existed, God just chose Mount Sinai to formally remind his people. Yes or no? Predominantly yes. It looks like 97% yes and about 3% no or maybe. It's interesting. You might change that by the end of class. I don't want to ruin anything. But you might change your answer by the end of class. And I think that's what's going to be so transformational about today's discussion is because we viewed these as laws that are principles of all time. So, of course, they would stand before Exodus 20. But as we take a look today at what the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments are and the formula of how they were created, many of you might decide to change that answer today. Just giving you a heads up. Last one, number five. The first half of the commandments are for God, and the second half are for mankind. Most of you are saying no. Some of you are saying yes, because that's what you were taught when you, when you were growing up, right? First four or five are for, for God, and the last five or six are for man. That's what I was taught growing up. We are going to discuss about how all of them are for God and man. I want to ask you a question as we start out here. When the Ten Commandments were first introduced to you, how did you feel about them? How were they first presented to you? Think back in your mind. Your very first remembrance of when the Ten Commandments became known or became real to you. How was it introduced to you? What thoughts came into your mind? What perspective did you have of the Ten Commandments? Raise a comment card. If you'd like to share, and one of our lovely uh, people with a microphone will bring a microphone to you right away. Okay, thank you. In the sand table at Cradle Roll Sabbath School. In the sand table at Cradle Roll Sabbath School. Yeah, you, you, that's all you remember. Did, did they write it in the sand? Or?
1: People were around the mountain, you
0: know. Oh, so they, they, it's, you, you had like this mountain scene? You had the coolest Sabbath school class. We yes had felt. What'd you say? Yes, I did. You did, because we had felts, and uh, felts, I would have loved a sand table, but uh, they didn't make felts when you were my age. Uh, Okay. All right. That was a textile to come. Okay. Okay. Who was next before I get myself in trouble? Did I already get myself in trouble? I'm sorry
1: from a very stern Sabbath school teacher that let us know that we would never live up to the law.
0: <laughs> oh, so you learned it in, uh, in Sabbath school by a teacher, okay? Anybody else? how did how'd you learn? When, when did you first hear about the Ten Commandments?
1: I learned it in catechism class. Catechism. Yeah, so That was uh, presented as these are the rules you have to follow. So if you're, okay,
0: so. awesome. So they were presented to you in catechism class and they were taught to you as rules. These are rules, okay? I love it. Anybody else? Ten Commandments, how was it presented to you? I think mine was in connection with baptismal studies at junior camp or something, but I just always remember feeling I'm not ready to be baptized because I cannot, I do not know how to keep these commandments, and I'm sure I've broken one, if not many, already. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very difficult. Well, hopefully not that thou shalt not kill, but <laughs> if so th- we'll talk after this is not the place nor the time yeah
1: well before I became a church member and found out about Jesus Cecil DeMille was great at teaching me about the
0: <laughs> <laughs> Cecil DeMille exactly she took my... the good old the, the good old movie
1: she took yours that's what I was going to say well Charles, is, Charlton Heston, say... Heston man <laughs> Charlton Heston
0: absolutely absolutely great great movie yeah, and every time you go through Universal Studios, you, you can't help but We're driving through the Red Sea. It's amazing. Good. Anybody else? Right up here.
1: I remember going to, like, primary Sabbath school. Like, I don't know what grade that is I don't remember. But there were these huge visual pictures of the tablets of stone, and then an angel dramatically with their wing pointing to, this is the way you go. Yeah. But they were huge. Yeah. And we were little. Yeah. And they just were overpowering to me. I just thought, well, there's some things, nobody talked about them. They were just there as a visual.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. These huge stones. Who was next? Another visual cue is we're standing there in front of the judgment seat of God. The tables of stone is like 15 feet above where God the Father would sit, and we would be bowed, and Christ would have his arm around us, and pleading for us in front of God. So the Mm -hmm. Ten Commandments is behind, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's basically the list of all the things that you broke and, yeah.
2: Okay, Um, I was not Adventist until I was in college, but my aunt who was a spinster, she lived with us, and uh, every time she was coming home from vacation, she was telling us stories. So one of those stories uh, she told us was about Ten Commandments. She told us in a way that God is an awesome God, but uh, he needs to be obeyed, and Hmm. all these commandments need to be obeyed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. That's right. That's good. So looking at this, the consistency of response that, that I've heard so far is these are rules... These are laws. These were sent from God. These are things that are unkeepable, even when you're trying. Uh, God puts his arm around you when you're faced with judgment, and he's consoling you and pleading for you against a vengeful God who doesn't want you in heaven because you can't keep the rules, and God doesn't want a bunch of people that are basically doing a list of his pet peeves for eternity in heaven. So what are we going to do? the Ten. It's interesting to look at the verbiage of the Ten Commandments. We call them the Ten Commandments, but I want you to know something. In Scripture, it never ever uses the term in this section as Ten Commandments. They're called the Ten Words. These are the Ten Words of God, ten things that they should agree upon. He starts out In Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, with a very interesting introduction, would someone be willing to read for us verses 1 and 2 of Exodus chapter 20? And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So that's how the 10 words start. God reminding them. Why do you think he starts out with this preamble, with these 10 words? Before listing the 10 things that he wants to have as an agreement between them, why would he start out with these phrases? Why do you think?
1: That he was for them, that he's on their side, that they needed to be reminded of that. He wasn't against them. He was yes. rescuing them. So
0: Exactly. So his intention is not to pay them back for something they had done. His intention is to continue something good that he started. So he is not responding because they've kept anything or done anything grandiose for him. He's reminding them that I'm doing this because I love you and I want you to be my people. Oh, you kind of said what I was going to say. I'm so sorry. You say it better. (laughs) He
1: was establishing relationship with them. I am the Lord your God. Come to me when you need anything. Know that I will provide for you.
0: See, you did say it better than me because you used a phrase. He's establishing a relationship He's establishing a relationship. If you have the 10 words separate from relationship, you have rules. If you have the 10 words intertwined with relationship, you have relationship. You have understanding. You have cooperation. But if you separate, verses 1 and 2, from the remainder of the 10 words, you have rules. And today, we're going to take a step even farther back. If you take Exodus 20 apart from Exodus 19, you have rules. Because Exodus 19, as much as we dug into it last week... And saw that God was creating some sort of boundary. And we're trying to figure out what's this boundary? What's this three days of preparation? What are all these things God is doing? Why won't he just give us the Ten Commandments? Today, we're going to understand that we barely scratched the surface last week of what chapter 19 was all about. Because chapter 20 without chapter 19 is just a list of rules. But today, we're going to go a bit deeper I want us to to look at the words of love that are to come. Many people see them as words of law, but everything God is about to say are words of love. What are the most unique elements you've witnessed at a wedding ceremony? I know it seems out of left field, but you'll catch it in a second. What are some of the most unique elements you've seen at either an engagement or at a wedding? What's something unique that you've seen that you're like, are you kidding me? This is kind of bizarre.
1: The lighting of the unity candle.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, I do a lot of weddings, and um, I'm always laughing whenever it's an outdoor wedding, and they tell me, they insist we're doing a unity candle. (laughs) I'm like, you realize I'm going to be back there behind the unity candle, relighting it five times just to get through the song, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Unity candle. It's kind of unique. Uh, Over here. Yeah. Yeah, when
2: my husband and I got married, we did something from his Spanish culture, which was a lasso. And so it was a, a very um, ornate beaded um, lasso that was joined in the middle.
0: And, and did you th- run down the aisle and he?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not that good. Because that would
0: have been unique.
2: No, but our, our attendants put it around us. So as ah, we were cool. kneeling, yeah. um, it, was, it showed that we were joined together.
0: That is cool. Very cool. <laughs> But I think the other way would be a lot cooler. I'm sorry, your wedding was awesome, but people would still be talking about it if you had run down the aisle. Awesome. Anybody else, something unique unique you have
1: seen? Most of you know I'm a florist. So in Jewish weddings, sometimes they stomp on a glass. And I did this one wedding where they decided they were gonna take the glass and have it made into a stained glass piece. So they got the most ornate piece of glass they could and it would not break the groom. <laughs> We're waiting, and the groom is stamping and stamping, and he picks it up and throws it down. And finally, the, the bride, in frustration, reaches over and stamps on it, and it crushes to the applause of the whole crowd.
0: Might have been kind of symbolic there, a little foreshadowing, maybe. That's what I thought. A little foreshadowing of things to come. I'm going
1: to go on. I love it. Yes. Um, As a wedding coordinator, I've seen many unique things. But one wedding we did, they actually played some rock music and danced down the aisle.
0: Oh, that's funny. On their way in or on their way out? On their way in. Oh, my word. Oh, my word.
2: Uh, The pastor actually performing the wedding fainted.
0: (laughs) Oh, my word. He fainted. That is crazy. People do unique things because they want to make it personal. They, they do things at weddings that sometimes you say, why do we do that? Why do we, why do we carry a bouquet? Why do we toss it over our shoulder? What are, what are all these customs that we do at weddings? And if you start asking Uncle Google or reading some books on why do we do these certain things, these elements at the wedding, um, you start to learn where it came from. The flowers are, are there to... To hide the bride's stench, and and other things. And you start to realize why we have specific things that are just customary at weddings. I want to propose to you today that what we saw in chapter 19 and what we're about to see in chapter 20 have everything to do with engagement and marriage and the customs of the day. You'll notice that I have on the study guide there that... uh, Portions of what we're about to go through are compliments of our very own community member, Raul Esperante, who very graciously shared with me some extensive notes. So many notes that literally we don't have time to go through all the amazing parts of his notes today, but he shared with me something that completely, completely enlightened my view, and I can't wait to share it with you. And I'm going to ask Raul to share specific portions here to come. But I want you to take a look, let's take a step back in Exodus chapter 19. Now we had in uh, Exodus chapter 19, and and go ahead and flip over to the back of your sheet. Exodus chapter 19 verses five through eight, God said some very touchy feely things. Open up your Bible, open up your Bible app to verses five through eight. And I wanna ask you this, in these four verses, a deal is made. What are the terms and what's the promised result? And ultimately, do the people agree to the initial offer? So take a look. And now I want to ask you, just shout out to me, you don't have to have a microphone for this one, but just shout out, what are some of the terms that you see in verses five through eight of this agreement that God wants to make with the people? What's something? I'm sorry, obey confident. If you do that, you will be to me a treasured possession. You'll be my holy people. You'll be a kingdom of priests, which remember the word priest didn't exist back then. It meant you'll be the people who will actually represent the true God to the kingdoms around you. God comes down. He says, look, if we can have an agreement, if you just listen to what I say and do what I say, I have a different perspective. Fortunately, from my vantage point, I can see a few more things than you can. So if you'll trust me, listen to what I say, step where I tell you to step, stop when I tell you to stop, go when I tell you to go, follow the cloud, the pillar of fire. If you'll just trust me, you will be to me my most treasured possession in all the earth. Now, there's some unique verbiage going on here, and there's some unique uh, things that God also asked them to do. What are the physical things that God asked them to do in the three days of preparation? What are some of the physical things? Wash themselves. themselves. What else? Wash your clothes. What else? (laughs) Yes, do not have intercourse. What else? Stay where you are. Don't touch the mountain. Stay where you are. Just wait. I'm going to come to you. Just wait. Now, I want you to see something here. Because what happens in chapter 19 and chapter 20 mirror the five steps to proposal and marriage in Jewish custom. And when you see this, it's, it's going to blow you away. But before we get there, I see Harvey has a comment right here. I'd love to have a microphone here before we move on.
1: I think there's a very powerful attachment to Exodus 6. Yes. Where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the marriage proposal. Yes, yes. And this is the fulfillment of what he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm And to me, that's a very powerful tie going on here.
0: You you are a scholar, uh, Harvey, because in the five steps of going from, ooh, look at that. I like that person. To the actual ceremony and the consummation of a marriage, step one is, ooh, she will be mine. We see that in the five steps of the marriage proposal and ceremony as the first word that you see right there, lakha, lakha. That does happen in Exodus chapter six. God looks and says, you will be mine. I like you. I want to have a relationship. We're not ready to take it to that next step, but the initial introduction of, hey, uh, Let's see where this goes. Is Exodus chapter six? You're absolutely correct. Especially verses four to six, I believe it is where it is. Yes. So, step one. Step two, Segula. I want to make you my special treasure. We just heard that. In chapter 19, he takes that next step. That next, I, I, I want to marry you and I want you to be my special, most prized possession. In chapter 19, he uses the very verbiage of what you would do in an engagement proposal. You would make the proposal, of course, you would meet with the father and you would arrange terms and make sure how much the dowry was. What is the price that needs to be paid in order for you to be married? And live as one. And so you would negotiate the terms and then you would go back as the groom. You would go back to your father. And you would begin to build a house that's attached to your parents' house. And you would begin to build a house that was big enough. And you would go to prepare a place. And if you had gone to prepare a place, of course, you would come back to receive to yourself the one with whom you are engaged to be married. This is the next stage. There is a, a separation of time, an amount of time when the groom leaves to go prepare the place for the bride. Here, there's a three-day, a three-day spanse. There's a lot in there that we can dig into. You look at Christ in three days, and you look at all the issues that uh, that Christ spoke of, the sign of Jonah, et cetera. We don't have time today. During that three days, three days before the wedding, the bride would uh, commit something known as the miskvah. Uh, in many of the religious um, groups of the day, you, you would go through a it's called a mikveh, so it's related. You would go through a baptism of sort. Mikveh is actually the Hebrew word that we, that we translate to baptizo in Koine Greek, which we now get the term baptism. The bride would go through the miskvah, the bathing, the ceremonial bathing, the cleansing. I'm not gonna ask how many of you brides made sure you bathed three days before your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> no yes and no cards on that one. Um, but the bride was expected to bathe three days before to prepare herself for the wedding day. Once we got past the engagement and we're getting to the area where it's time, it's time for the marriage, you would have the ketubah. And the ketubah is the marriage contract. In this contract, the contract would be an agreement between typically the father of the bride and the groom and the bride would agree to it. In fact, the bride would keep it. The bride would hang on to the ketubah. This agreement until the groom came and took her home to be his bride. It was the bride's responsible to hang on to it. And if she lost it, they would write another one and she would hang on to it until the groom came and married her. That's the ketuba. These are the the elements within the marriage that say, what are you getting and what am I getting? What's the understanding between us of, this is your role, this is my role. These are my expectations, these are your expectations. And when we come together, we always have this to look at and say, this is how we will maintain a happy marriage, the ketubah. Then the big day comes, the big wedding wedding feast. Weddings lasted a good seven days uh, for the most part. And you'd come down to the end, and you had this thing called the chupa. The chupa was this canopy, this covering, a tent of sorts. And that's where the wedding was consummated, where the act of consummating the marriage took place. There was a covering. It's interesting in Exodus 19 and 20, that God says, wait, I've, uh, I want you to be my segula, my special treasure. I've made my lakah, my statement, I want you to be mine. I've proposed to you and I've told you to prepare yourself through the miskvah and get ready, keep yourself pure, focus just on me. Makes sense why he would say no intercourse during this time, because this is a wedding and we don't want any cheating going on just before the wedding. It's a shame that during the consummation of this wedding, that his bride is unfaithful and they create a calf completely in the middle of... Have you ever been to a wedding where in the middle, the bride has said, Hang on a second. I'll be right back so I can go fool around with someone else in the middle of my wedding. The chupa, the covering, God says, wait, because I will come and I will cover the mountain, Mount Sinai. The cloud, the canopy of cloud comes. It's the chupa. And in that time, the wedding is consummated the groom and the bride are married and the wedding contract is set. Now we're good to go with a wedded life of bliss. All the elements in just the right order take place in Exodus 19 and 20 for a proposal and a marriage. What God proposes in his 10 words are not 10 rules. These are 10 marriage contract understandings. If we're going to be married, let's make sure we have some understanding of how we're going to live together. So now that you see that, my question to you is, how does this change the way that you read the Ten Commandments? Any of you, raise a comment or a question card. How does this now change the way that you view the Ten Commandments? How is your perspective
1: different? I think it makes sense in relationship and, and it makes it so much more beautiful because before when you hear I'm, you know, I'm your God and I'm a jealous God, but you think about it, if you're courting a woman or you're a woman courting a man or whatever, and you say that, it's because if someone else, if they're, they're, your loved one is paying attention to someone else, it bothers you. One of the comments, and I'm not challenging it, when we talked about having parameters, when I love you, I do things out of love, open the door, open the car door, walk on whatever side of the street, because of that love, not because it's law, but it shows that affection. And for a modern analogy, uh, if you look at the movie, Pretty Woman, she was Egypt and so coming out of Egypt there were other gods the golden calf this is what she's used to and now with god saying i'm your god i'm reminding i don't treat you like the other guys i brought you out of egypt and i want you to be mine but i don't want you looking back to the golden calf or any of the other gods that you've known before yeah oh that's huge that's huge over here did um Did the people of Israel, while this wedding
0: ceremony was taking place, did they realize that the wedding ceremony, did they know they were the bride in this scenario? That is an incredible question. That's a deep question. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? Did Israel realize? How many, okay, yes or no cards, because I'm hearing both. Let's see a percentage here. How many of you think, yes, Israel uh, knew, that they were the bride in the middle of a wedding. How many of you say no? They did not realize that they were the bride in the wedding. The majority of you are saying no. Some of you are saying yes. And, and the percentage looks like 85 to 15%. No, 85%, 15%. Yes, they did know. I think that's why it was so easy for them to turn away from the God who had proposed this relationship with them is because I don't think they realized As much as they trembled as the mountain did, their hearts were not yet mature enough spiritually to understand what God was proposing. They still, in my opinion, were in the mindset of gods were gods that you manipulate to get what you want at the time that you want it. We're going to see coming up the reason why the children of Israel had so much trouble going back and forth was because the gods that they knew were the gods of daily life. And Yahweh God was the God of crisis. When you were in crisis, times of crisis, you called on Him. But for daily life, they understood how all the other gods that they had been raised on were there to help you with daily life issues. We're going to see that coming up. Yes, Joseph. Yes.
2: Uh, My understanding is that the Ten Commandments or Ten Words It's a transcript of God's character. Now, I'm being enlightened that this is more so a marriage proposal. Hmm. Um, It it seemed to be a deeper and more enriching um, explanation of God's intent and Hmm.
0: relationship Hmm. uh, to Israel and to us. Yeah. I'm so glad that you raised that question because we, we have to look at the Ten Commandments differently from this standpoint. You've been at wedding ceremonies where people have written their own vows, right? I mean, there's so much more interesting than, dude, swear to honor and cherish and sickness and health. It's not that way. That seems so impersonal, so contractual compared to someone writing out their own wedding vows. This demonstrates the character of God in greater ways than we imagine because up till now many of us have seen this as God's ten pet peeves. As long as you avoid the pet peeves, you're in right relationship with God and you'll go to heaven. That's why Paul has to wrestle with this, especially in Romans and Galatians, to try to, to, try to help people understand that we're not doing away with the law. This is the wedding vows. It actually upholds the law when you change from rules to relationship, when you understand that you can see the character of God by looking at his wedding vows. He wrote them. He wrote these as wedding vows to say, I want to have a relationship with you. And so instead of downplaying it as something that's important to him, it actually upholds that this is so important to him that at this wedding... He wants to make sure these are the points of understanding that we have in our marriage. And so it's very, very important to understand that role of these 10 words.
1: Well, going back to your original question, you know, did Israel understand? They certainly should have because in chapter 19 they agreed when Moses explained to them what God had said. But maybe they're a little like the rest of us Hmm. who we have all these things we agree to when we're first married and we don't have a clue yeah. as to what's ahead.
0: You are brilliant.
1: <laughs> let, me get a, let me give a love. <laughs>
0: Israel acts like a runaway bride. She acts like a runaway bride. She knew initially what she's getting into, but when the fear of the commitment to what she agreed to actually arrives, she becomes a runaway bride. We're going to get to that next week. I want to ask Raul if you'll do me a favor. So someone bring him a mic up here. Um, Raul, as I was going through his notes, I noticed that he took this concept and he said, what if I were to interpret the Ten Commandments as wedding vows? How might they read? And so Raul, if you wouldn't mind, could, could you read your, your version of the Ten Commandments from that perspective? And while you're doing so, by the way, since you've been so quiet during this whole time, I know I've butchered your notes. And so first of all, I apologize.
2: It's all right. It's
0: a, <laughs> you notice it's he didn't a, say no. It's an honor but
2: for me anyway. So,
0: so as, you're, as you're, uh, we're wrapping up the class, please correct in areas that we need to correct <laughs> or, or fill in information to make sure that I didn't mislead people uh, a different okay. direction. So okay. uh, let's start out with the Ten Commandments.
2: Well, um, I followed the the principle of each commandment, but I did not phrase them as commands, as thou shalt not. I phrased them as promises. Hmm. So they start with I will instead. And here here it goes. I will not have other lovers apart from you. Well, my wife is sitting next to me, and, and I read this to her in public in one of my sermons when I preached about this. (laughs) <laughs> this is the, That's the, the framework of it. I will not have other lovers apart from you. Second, I will not look at or store photos or images of other people that I could desire, even on Facebook. <laughs> I don't have Facebook anyway. <laughs> I will not take your name in vain. You and I have given name to the family, so I'll Take your time. I will not use it irrespectfully or bring shame to to the family. Fourth, I will find time to love you and know you for what you really are. Fifth, I will live cordially with the rest of our family. I will not treat others badly, but with love and respect to all. Sixth, I will not go to sleep angry with you and will not cause you any physical, mental, or emotional harm. Seven, I will not go with another. I will not commit adultery. You are for me and I am for you. You are my special treasure. Eight, you are my special, unique treasure. I am not going to belittle you, steal or attribute to myself the talents that you have. Ninth, I will praise your virtues above the mine above mine. I will always give thanks p- for what you mean to me and for what you do for me. And tenth, I will not desire other people. I will not compare you with other people. Hmm. There there are many.
0: Can can I say one thing before? I'm gonna have you uh, go go into detail about a couple of things. A a lot of love it cards just went up, by the way. I know you can't see them behind you. Um, That was a wedding. I could hear that at a wedding. I could hear someone through tears trying to read the shaking paper as they're facing their love, as they're committing their life together. I could hear that as vows. That is the Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Vows, the Ten Words of Commitment. What is our understanding? How are we going to take this to a lifelong partnership? Raul, I loved it because you yourself, you've read that a hundred times or more, You can't get through that without feeling the true emotion within it. That is the emotion of the 10 words. That is the emotion we need to read the 10 words within. Because that is what God did when he wrote his marriage vows with us. Now, for sake of time, if you want to do a little follow-up, you can. But I really want you to share with us, because this motif does not stay here in Exodus 19 and 20. By the way, God loves weddings. I don't know what his deal is about weddings, but he just loves weddings, okay? He starts out in Genesis chapter two with a wedding. Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, he's all God, all powerful, and and with the one word, he speaks and pa, everything exists. Chapter two, he's at a wedding. John, his best friend, the disciple John, when he writes his gospel, he starts out with chapter one, and the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. Everything that was created was created by God, all-powerful, almighty God. And in chapter two of John, Jesus is at a wedding, wedding of Cana.
2: And the Bible ends with a
0: wedding. And the Bible in Revelation ends with a wedding. God has something about weddings. In fact, when Jesus speaks about His coming. He can't help but speak in parables and speak in motifs uh, 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 about bridesmaids, ten bridesmaids. Be be one of these five wise bridesmaids. He can't help but but talk about labor pains. You'll be able to know when when I'm coming because God is all about this marriage family unit from Genesis to Revelation. And here in Exodus, as he's trying to establish a marriage relationship between him and his bride, his people, he he sets his vows. Now, this changes a lot of our views about things to come. And Raul, I want you to share, you have a section of notes that, that you talk about how uh, when Christ was here on earth, this whole marriage motif, what well, will you share with us in closing? Because you will want to keep this in your mind for the rest of the week. And we'll close with this thought, Raul, about yeah, this motif. It, you
2: mentioned several of them, um, but there are, there are many others. The, the Gospels and the writings of Paul and Peter are are full with with this motive of the of the Jewish wedding representing the way God wants to relate with us. And Jesus did that at the wedding of Cana. It's not about marriage, mostly. It's more about this is how I want to relate with you. Yeah. Even uh, Jesus's mother missed the point. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, the last week of Jesus's life on um, on earth, he tell his disciples, I'm going. I'm leaving. I'm going to build a house for you. Those are the words that you mentioned that the mm-hmm. the, the groom says to the to the bride. Yeah. So he's saying that to us. But there are other two significant things, and I'll finish with that. One is that John the Baptist says, well, uh, he, while he builds the house, his friends will ask him, you know, when, when are you going to get married? When is the date? They had a year, one year to build the house. So as he would get close, the friends would ask, when? When is the wedding? When we want to go? The bride will have to be ready washing and with the lamps ready. And the groom would say, I don't know. Only my father knows the date.
0: And, he, and only the father knew because the father. The
2: father is, 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 the, is the one that says now. is the one that says this is the day.
0: Yeah, he looks at what was prepared and exactly. says, "Now it's now, now it's right." But there is another element
2: that is very that shook me very much when I discovered that, and is John the Baptist early on in in, the, in his ministry. He said, "I am the best friend of whom of Jesus." He identifies himself as the best friend, mm-hmm. the best friend in in a Jewish wedding after the wedding is performed would stand, stay um, at the door of that room where, where the, the couple would, would uh, have their intercourse. Yes. And everybody would be out uh, waiting outside. See how exciting it was? <laughs> and
0: <laughs> I wonder why we don't do that today.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then at one point, the groom, the, the, the husband, would come out with a white um, sheet stained in blood, mm-hmm. saying, it is consummated. Mm-hmm. Those are the same words that Jesus says, the final words that he said on earth on, on the cross. Jesus on the cross performed my wedding with you and me, saying, it is consummated. I want to marry you.
0: Because he paid the price. Exactly. And he consummated the, the marriage in blood. There are so many more things I wish we can go into. That's why we have a weekly class. So I invite you to come back next week as we continue this conversation. But this week, I want you to retain in your mind all your life if you've looked at the 10 words as 10 rules. Can you pray with God this week and ask, God, can you help me see these as your wedding vows? Can you help me be true? of the vow that I took to you and that you took to me. Boy, that gives us a lot to think about this week. And I hope you were moved just as much as I was by that very deep conversation. Now, this next episode, we're going to take the next steps into this series, Life in the Wilderness. And we're going to see how God sets up their new home, a mobile home. And next week, we're going to take a look at the furniture. God decided to have some custom furniture built for the new home for he and his bride. And so we're going to take a look at it and see some of the things we might have missed that God was trying to say by his furniture choice. So I hope you'll join us. We'll see you next week.
1: Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab Podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at infothebabelab.com. At Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.